you know, when you get to a place of comfort and ease, sometimes you don't look to the Lord like you should. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got, I'm going to change it up, we've got Tracy. I was going to say good morning. I guess <laughs> it is evening. We're we're recording on a Tuesday evening instead for for various reasons. But uh, yeah, so uh, good, 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 whatever, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Karen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we've got Eric. Hey there. And just for fun, our listeners should know we're calling in from three different time zones to do this. Yeah, we are all over the place this time. I think this is probably the most spread out we've ever been because. Tracy and I are still here in Colorado. Karen is at her new abode. Do you want to? Do you want to reveal that, Karen? I'm in Kentucky. Karen's in Kentucky. So, <laughs> so if you want to find Karen, she's in Kentucky. Just look under her K. Yes, and look <laughs> look for the redhead with exceptionally curly hair. Full. <laughs> Don't touch it, or it will explode. <laughs> Cute. Hum- humidity is being kind then, huh? I ooh, don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. <laughs> I told everybody when I was leaving Colorado, I'm like, that's it. This is the last time I'll ever be cute. I just. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, all I have is a static picture of you with just a tiny little dot on the computer, and that still looks fine. So I think you're doing okay, Karen. <laughs> Oh, and then Eric. Eric is, yep, there she is. And then is uh, off. What'd you say? Oh, oh, come on. Yeah, she just she just gave us video. That's awesome. Is is it really awesome? Is there a word for it? That's like big 80s hair. That is a fact. Also, not one of my life goals. (laughs) 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 Well, I think it looks good. So. Well, for our listeners who can't see this on the radio, you, you've you've seen the or maybe heard the cartoon Brave. Uh huh. Oh, kind of. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a lot of big red hair right now. Yeah, they they, very... they actually they actually showed up at my house. The Hollywood people showed up at my house. They drug me to a humid state, and then they designed that movie character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Oh, and then Eric, you're what? You're in Tennessee? I am in Tennessee. Yep. We're Idaho neighbor. <laughs> yeah, Tennessee, Kentucky, not that far away. But as it turns out, these are pretty good sized states. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to drive across them, that's for sure. I haven't done that for a l- well, I've never I don't think I've ever been in either one of those states, but I know the north driving south, it's just a nap, man. North to south, you take a good nap and you wake up, you're in the next state. But east to west, man, it goes on for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, 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 yeah. Dri- driving east is, I don't know, it always seems like it takes forever. All right, well, let's get into our discussion of Amos. We are in Amos chapter 6 this week. Uh, the to, Just to review the context just slightly is that uh, Israel and Judah have been split for a while, and, and it's just bad king after bad king after bad king, and Isaiah has spoken up. And now we have this sheep breeder, Amos, who has come onto the scene. 
and he is uh, now speaking up. And that's that's kind of interesting just to begin with. I mean, somebody as as I'm going to say lowly or common as a as a sheep breeder being sent to give messages to kings to tell them to straighten up. I guess you know. I guess that kind of says something for all of us, though, where we all, no matter what our station in life, no matter what position we might hold, um, we all have a right and maybe an ability to speak up against, or not against, but speak up um, when our leadership is not uh, performing well, not not functioning properly. So, uh, but that's where we are. We're with Amos, who has had a, he has had a message. For in the last few um, chapters, it seemed like the message was more for Israel than for Judah. But now here in chapter six, it starts right out. And it's pretty clear, I thought, that Judah is definitely being included in this because he talks about warnings being to Zion as well as Samaria. So we're not just talking about Israel, where basically their capital was in Samaria, but also Zion, which, I mean, they're talking about... Uh, kind of more more Jerusalem there, I think. But the message starts out here in six is don't be at basically don't be at ease because of your position, because other cities uh, have also been large and prosperous, and they've been conquered. So uh, thinking that you have some kind of status just because of where you live, or or you know greatness by association. It's maybe not, maybe not the way to go with that. Uh, what do you What do you think? You know, I think it it, it kind of plays into the whole. When I was reading this, I was thinking of, and we'll get to it as we go on. But the end times, the times we're living in right now, mm-hmm. you know how it's shaping up. How we're being told to not get comfortable, not to be passive not to kind of take the the life of ease and kind of forgetting our priorities. And that's kind of how I looked at it. But, you know, I think you do. You know, when you get to a place of comfort and ease, sometimes you don't look to the Lord like you should. Mm-hmm. You start to, once again, we're going to say this, we've said this from the very beginning, you start to look at self, and then the problems start. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's we've been seeing a lot of that happening with all these kings and they're, you know, being so proud of their power and thinking that they were so doing so great and high and mighty. And uh, yeah, you know, I, oh. I a little bit wondered if um, it's sending a sheep breeder to talk to kings in this era when they are when, when they are so self-absorbed. I wondered if that was a little bit of a humbling thing. Like to to have the Lord reach out and speak to you would be amazing to have. But if but if you're a king, wouldn't you expect that to come from somebody who's just as important as you? Well, no, because here comes a sheep breeder. You know, that's what I'm talking to. along the same lines as Karen, too. And even though she's miles, many miles away. I was thinking the same thing, but, you know, we look at that and, and the prophets, they tended to be, you know, boots on the ground, I like to call it, with the common folk, but they held a lot of power because if you, if we remember back Samuel, you know, he could, he could part the crowd, 
coming to talk to the, you know, the early kings, to Saul and to David. He was revered. You know, but I think he was common. He was common with the everyday person. And I think that's that's what separate separated Israel the whole time is that, you know what? They knew when something was up, a prophet was going to walk in and it was going to be a guy with dust on his feet and, you know, um, lightning in his his a reproach with them, I guess. And this this message he's given, I mean, he he's. um he doesn't pull any punches at all. He starts off basically, he says, woe to you who put off, put far off the day of doom. Uh, you know, procrastinating this. When somebody, you know, I guess when a prophet has told you bad things are coming and you're sitting there in your comfort and you're like, eh, that's in the future. Or, or you know, maybe you're just thinking, well, maybe. It's It's easy to put things off till later. And, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, when things start going bad, then I'll, then I'll revisit this, you know what I'm saying? When I can't find my coffee, I'll start opening boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Recent example. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, Amos, as he gets started here in chapter six, he, he, he really goes down the line um, saying, you know, hey, woe to those there's a series of woes and uh, jesus has a famous series of woes in the new testament also but amos goes through here and he's he's calling them out for their for their wealth and their live life of ease i don't think that's the problem though the problem is we see it in in uh, verses 6 8 12 and 13 6 is basically saying hey you know you and I think to those who would be, oh, I don't know, down on like, oh, look, the reason they had this problem is because they they uh, they they used ivory or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, but they also sang with harps. So you're going to call harps bad, you know, or or anointing yourself with oil. Basically, that's you know looking nice. That wasn't the problem. Amos goes through all these things that they that these niceties that they have, and then at the end of chapter verse six, he says but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 8, uh, he speaks for God. He says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. And in 12, you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. And in 13, says, uh, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaim, I don't know how to say that exactly, Carnaim for ourselves. Basically, the problem is in our own strength um, and this pride. And that's not a thing that we really get a lot of sermons about or, you know, good YouTube uh, rails against. You can find those against music, against certain kind of clothing, against, you, you, you know, you could the, the, the usual suspects, right? But um, pride and self-sufficiency, those are things that we, we're, um, oh my goodness, we think those are virtues. Those are things that we think are like, well, yeah, we took care of ourselves here. You know, we did a good job. We did it ourselves. We're, we're and, it's, and it's us at the middle. It's us, us, us. And God is constantly reminding us that we are not the center of everything. And when we think we are, trouble is a very short distance away. Yeah. 
So I was looking at some of the notes of that new um, cultural relevance Bible I've got here. And in that verse 13, it talks about rejoicing after Lodabar and have we not taken Carnaim? Um, I guess in Amos, and it sounds like in other places too, but specifically in Amos, they were talking about how they like, uh, th- there's some wordplay that happens here. And Lodabar, I guess in the original spelling of it, it's spelled very similarly to uh, the Hebrew word for nothing. So you who rejoice after nothing, and then have we not taken carnaim? That that word carnaim, I guess, literally means horns or strength. And yeah. so it's kind of saying you who rejoice after nothing, and uh, haven't we taken the stronghold? Um, you know, basically, it's it's you know, you guys are you guys are so happy about this stuff, and it really it's 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 basically nothing. You've taken nothing, Bill. So there's more going on with the text even than what we're getting here. But um, yeah, you're you're rejoicing in this stuff, and it's not really, it's not going to do you much good. But God didn't we see Lodabar before Mashivasef hung out there? He tried to to escape David from there and just mix in because it wasn't a great place to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought of that. I have that in my notes that, you know, maybe that's the reference. It's it's not a great place to be. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. Yeah, it's 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 nothing. It's nothing to be proud of. Yeah. Then we are told that God is going to raise up a nation against you from Hamath to the Valley of Arabah, which basically is north to south. You guys are going to get taken out. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how there's that, that verse that says, in, in our weakness, his strength is made evident. And I think that that goes for, for individuals as well as nations. And maybe the way that we experience it most is as individuals, but I think this is an example of that happening to a nation where they get so strong that they lose sight of their need for a savior Mm -hmm. and they just become complacent and self-sufficient and he has to shake them back to him. That's absolutely right. Yeah, so chapter seven starts with this vision of locusts and this, in the vision, this locust swarm, this, mm, see if I can speak. You get locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. And so there's some, some significance here because the late crop would be after the king had taken his share. The king would come in and take like the majority and it would be, be his piece. So now the locusts are coming in and we've seen other uh, instances of locusts and we know that they really just do not leave anything behind. So um, so you have these locusts coming in, taking basically what's left over. And then uh, there's a prayer that God will forgive and allow Israel to survive. And God actually basically relents at this point. He says, it shall not be. And then that's followed by a vision of fire. And this fire consumes, it says, even the sources of water or, or the deep, as it was in the New King James, uh, for consuming everything. And there's another prayer to ask God forgiveness and allow Israel to survive. And again, God relents. Then there's a vision 
of God standing on a wall holding a plumb line. And he's basically, this is taking a measurement to determine how straight and upright the wall is. And God says, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. So I take this as, a you know, there has been time after time, there has been God giving warnings, God giving, um, trying to give corrections, getting people to come to him. But they just don't. And now God is saying something is coming and I am not going to relent this time. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, I think that we are having, I think that we are having and will continue to have a plumb line experience in the modern church. I think Mm -hmm. sort of ramping up. And it will get more intense as we wind up towards the end of the world. And we have the benefit of thousands of years of history and Bible and watching prophecy unfold. And there will be, I believe, no excuse for not knowing what we need to know. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of even what the whole point of the plumb line is. I mean, if anybody who's familiar with a plumb line, it's the simplest, uh, most basic way to get a straight line up and down, perpendicular. Once it stops moving, you know without a doubt that that is that's as straight as it gets. And you can tell very quickly if something is off of plumb. If you can, you can just look look at it, and you can see if something is 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 shifted the wrong way. And um, there is a standard that God has set, and He expects people to to live within that standard. How does that go? Times of ignorance, God winks at, but now calls all men to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I'm I with you. I think we are com- going to come to a point, and we are beginning to see it now, where right and wrong, even though there are there's, there's some shades of gray, those shades of gray, I think, I personally think are starting to disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, the shades of gray maybe are in how we react to some things, but the, those, the, whether or not something is right or wrong, uh, to anybody who's, who's, studying or making some effort to be close to God as you know like they said about David being after God's own heart if you're if you are making any effort at all to be after God's heart then those that right and wrong I think is becoming more and more defined even though society seems to be going sometimes the the exact opposite but that's part of the contrast when society kind of coasts along in sort of medium shades of gray, it's hard to call it out as hard evil. And yeah. with, and without, you know, we little humans, we get sidetracked pretty easily. If there aren't contrasts with definite evil, we can we can get washed out and complacent pretty easy. So I think that the divide getting wider is to make it impossible for people to stay on the fence. Mm-hmm. You just can't anymore. No, no, you can't. You have we'll to. We'll get to the point where they're either in or they're out. Right. That's what's coming. 
Well, the priest Amaziah from Bethel decides that uh, Amos is conspiring against King Jeroboam of Israel because of something uh, apparently something Amos has said, where he said that Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. I it's it strikes me sort of funny the way the way people would always would react to these prophets as if it's as if they didn't understand that the prophets were just saying what God told them to say, but were rather making something up. Um, and somehow the prophet is bringing a calamity upon <laughs> upon the people or upon the king. Um, but I think that's human nature, though, because you want to blame someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who was it? Who was it? Was it Ahab where it was like, hey, don't you have any prophets of God in the country? Well, yeah, there's one, but he never tells me what I want to hear. Yeah. Wasn't exactly. that Ahab? Uh, uh, well, he was also yeah, that was Ahab. And then all, Ahab also was the one that, you know, in front of Elijah was like, you're the one that has brought this all on on Israel. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. You did it. And I think that's where the prophets point that out. But I think it's always easier to point the finger at somebody else. A hundred percent. What Karen's saying, what Tracy is saying, we don't, we don't like the weather forecast. So we want to shoot the weatherman and we think that's going to change the weather. That's, that's what's happening here to put a little context on this. We've said he's a priest, but he is a priest at Bethel. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that we go back to, I believe it's 1 Kings 12, and we remember that Jeroboam set up golden calves, and one of those was in um, Dan, and one of them is at Bethel. And so this priest, and, and in, in 1 Kings 12, we discover that basically Jeroboam just picked anybody to be priest. This is not some Levite priest who's serving in Jerusalem who's going head-to-head with Amos. This is a priest that was probably picked on a vote, or who knows, and installed as a priest of, quote, God, slash the golden calf. So that's who is talking to Amos. So we have two really divergent viewpoints here. They're both claiming to speak for God. Okay, let's keep that in mind. They both say that they're speaking for the God of Israel. But one, this this uh, Amaziah here of uh, chapter 7, verse 10, is the priest of what clearly God did not set up. Okay, he's mm-hmm. a priest, and he's a priest in a religion, and he is, they've got their own rules and their own, uh, who knows whatever else they got going on. But they claim to be speaking for God. And Amos is not of that variety. He was picked. He doesn't claim to be a priest. He says, God told me to tell you this, and he's telling him this. Um, So we've got these two systems going against each other. And if we remember, what's really happening here is it's Amaziah the priest versus God. Because God is speaking through Amos. But it's, these are not Amos's words. Amos isn't making this up. God is telling him, hey, you need to tell the people of Israel this. And Amaziah's you know, response is basically, oh, go somewhere else and prophesy. We don't want to 
we don't want to hear your your bad news here yeah yeah it's kind of like go go how do you put it is it go to go to uh go to jerusalem prophesy there they'll listen to you but just leave us alone and leave let it's it was it's, uh, it's something like let this be the king's sanctuary <laughs> as if as as if just sending him away makes the message go away it's just uh, it's so interesting and, and yeah amos is like hey i'm just i'm just a regular guy you know i i didn't ask for this and i just have a message to be told and but since you're not going to listen to it uh disaster is coming and he gives some kind of the 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 uh, examples he gives are not great. He says, your wife will be a harlot. Your sons and daughters will die by the sword. Your land will be divided. You will def- you will die in a defiled land, and Israel will be led away captive. It's kind of some specific stuff here. Again, it goes to this, this concept that, let's suppose I go in and, and see my doctor, and my doctor says, hey, look, you you got to stop this, this, and this. And I say, well, you know what? I'm just going to just put some music in my ears right now, and I'm not going to listen to you, and therefore my problems are going to go away. It doesn't happen. It's not how things work. Well, chapter 8, we start with some some more of that wordplay. We get a vision of summer fruit, and this uh, summer fruit, it represents a harvest. And there's some wordplay here where the um, summer fruit, Fruit or basket of summer fruit. Somehow the the word for that, kaitz is, it's pronounced something like kaitz. I can't quite say it, but it's pun for the word um, kets, which means end. So basically, you're saying this is kind of this is the this is the end. But to get a reprimand for mistreating the poor, which we've talked about that quite a bit here, about especially I think we were talking about that the last time too, about how other nations were being reprimanded for violence specifically. But where the Israelites were being reprimanded for the way they treated the less fortunate. And overall, a lot of economic wrongs, uh, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 8. There's just a lot of economic things. Basically, this is a really interesting one. Is is when they say uh, in verse 5, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, mm. we may offer wheat for sale. Basically, they're just saying, well, we can't wait till God's time is done and we can serve ourselves. And this is a really, I think this is an important observation that we should look at ourselves. It's not that the selling of wheat is bad, right? I mean, they had to eat. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't those things per se that that were bad. So it was the fact that they preferred their own business over gods yeah yeah exactly just it's like oh i wish we could just get past this stuff i wish we could just you know just i, I just can't wait for this to be done so that uh so that we can get back to what we're doing and and the way it's put here is specifically for not just getting past god's stuff to do our own thing but getting past god's stuff so that we can go back to um our dishonest our dishonesty in business yeah uh, really looking forward to cheating people, and that's that's kind of that's kind of awful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, verses seven and eight is telling us that God has not forgotten these things, and the land is going to feel His displeasure. You know, one of the most ominous to me texts in the Bible is in this chapter, and it's verses um, eleven and twelve. 
The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like one of those potentially multi- multiple, uh, oh, how am I, what am I trying to say? Um, it's going to have, it's going to have meaning in more than one, one time. Era, yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it's going to happen there. It's going to happen. It'll happen later. Maybe, maybe in our time or, 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 you know, in the, in the not so distant future. And, you know, it seems like, it seems like a lot of times people are searching, but they're always looking in the wrong place. They want to look everywhere except for the Bible, except for Jesus. As if, as if the Bible and Jesus are somehow lesser or just silly. I mean, a lot of times it's just it's just seen as being just silly and unimportant, and uh, it's sad. It's not know, it's sad. anymore. There's lots of reasons. It's hard yeah. to read. I don't get it. There's lots of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, I find I I find it sad. I can find it frustrating too when you're trying to talk to somebody and they won't they won't even accept the idea of the authority of God mm-hmm. uh, and specifically, you know, Yahweh or Jesus or however, whatever, however you want to name him here. But, um, but they'll listen to just about anything else, almost anything else. And they're, they're looking and searching and searching, but never look to the right place and never want to accept that there is a truth. There is a concept available that answers the questions. And uh, they just don't even look. They don't even look there. Uh, chapter eight, verse nine. Sounds like a sounds like a sign that they're going to have. It says uh, there's going to be darkness during the day. How did it put this? Uh, Come to pass in that day that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I was kind of wondering if this is literal or more figurative because when we get into verses 10 through 14 it says i will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation i will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head i'll make it like the morning for an only sun and its end like a bitter day and it goes on um you know there's all these bad things that are going to happen and so i'm just kind of wondering if is this a figurative darkness at noon where things that were good are going bad or is this a literal do you think this is a literal sign coming see this is the part where i kind of thought you know like you're saying it does transcends over you know throughout time where could it be them in particular could it be us now where Mm -hmm. these calamities are falling upon us at the time of the end so you know like i said i think it's that's where i was going it was like okay could this be even in our time frame Mm-hmm. Or our era. Yeah, I think, Matt, I, I, that's one of the things I wrote down exactly for verses 9 and 10. Is this metaphorical? Because, like, I don't remember historically, like, this literally happening. Right. And it does seem to be, as you pointed out, as you read through, it's is an inversion of all the things. The good things turn to bad things. And that's, I, I'm going to put my vote with poetry but that doesn't get us off the hook because 
boy, it would sure be a lot easier if the sun just, you know, turned off for a day, it was an eclipse, and it was like, whew, that was over, is that it's talking about some really sad, and as it says, like the end of a bitter day, and that's what's happening here, and this all precedes the famine for God's word. Yeah, verse 14 there, 13 and 14, it just kind of finishes off. Those who worship the calf idol in Samaria will faint from thirst. And we're given we're given some comparisons of, it says, fair virgins and strong men. I took these as being people who are normally desirable. desirable and, um, but they are, they're going to fall. They're going to not do, they're not going to do well. Okay, hang on, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Sin of Samaria. The sin of Samaria. Hmm. In verse 14, um, does those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall and never to rise again. What does that mean, swear by the sin of Samaria? I think it's the golden calves because they're set up in Beersheba. I mean, so, so I'm sorry. The golden calves are set up um, in Bethel, in Samaria, and in Dan. This, this is <clears throat> this is the it's the it, it's the epicenter of um, of where their where their worship is. Okay. You know, uh, that's 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 what I think. It would be kind of like if I wanted to include uh, all of rock and roll in in one metaphor i would say you know it's like it's like the who's who of the uh, rock and roll hall of fame i'm naming a place but really the place is a metaphor for a whole genre and i think that that's where amos is going specifically in chapter 14 and these there's two main woes that Amos is calling people out for. One is the uh, economic mistreatment of their own people. And the other is their religious wandering. And their religious wandering is them saying they're worshiping God, but not doing it where or how or any of those things that God had specified. And it's for those two reasons. And he kind of bounces back and forth. You can look at that all through the book of Amos is he's, he goes from one to the other and one to the other. And this idea of worshiping God falsely, not this is important, it's not not worshiping God, it is worshiping him in a way that they have created themselves. Uh, Amos is full of it. Uh, Ezekiel's full of it. There's always worship going on, okay? Some people say, well, it's because they didn't worship God. Well, they were worshiping. They were doing all kinds of worship, right? Yeah. We've read this stuff. God saying, I'm sick of your feasts. I'm sick of your your, your solemn assemblies. Like, it's not that they weren't doing anything. It's just they weren't doing what they were told to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a really, really serious thing. And I think today in our day of individuality here, especially in the West, we're like, well, I can just make up my own mind. I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, that's the, that's the golden standard, right, is to have... Uh, the song, I did it my way, played at our funeral, essentially. And that's what what their religion was. And as we see that, as we skip forward to the book of Revelation, it comes back and it, um, 
it gives a nod to this kind of stuff in, in Amos and in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and in all these things where their form of worship wasn't what God wanted. Okay, they were doing some of the particulars, but they weren't doing, they weren't, they wasn't, it wasn't the heart of God. Jesus called it out. Remember, he said, look, you guys tithe your garden herbs, but you have left off, what did he say? Justice and mercy? Wow, that sounds like Amos, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh-huh. And he's saying, no, not that you shouldn't have, you know, paid your tithe. He, he says that, literally, that's what he says. Not that you shouldn't have done that, but you should have paid attention to the big things, but you didn't. It wasn't too long into the course of sin before we heard about a human going, well, I know God said to do this, but this is more in my bailiwick, and so I'm going to do this instead. Anybody remember who that was? Cain. Cain. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Wasn't worship involved right there? Yes. Yeah. Boom, again. His offering was not accepted, and who did he get mad at for that? His the one bro- doing his brother. Yeah. The one doing it right. Wow. And it's it an old problem, isn't it? He hadn't invented mirrors yet. If they had invented mirrors, he would have done it correctly. He would have looked in the mirror and he would have gone, ah, there's the problem. Mm-hmm. As it was, he got sidetracked and got all mad at his brother who did it right. Yeah, sounds just that- like Amaziah in chapter seven. Yeah. yeah. What an interesting little piece of human uh idiosyncrasy i guess <laughs> getting mad at somebody else because they are having fortune for doing something right you see it all the time and not just in spiritual things oh yeah all the time you know i see people get so upset about let's say a football player making millions of dollars in 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 a season you know and I always wonder, is that are you mad that they're making all that money or are you upset that you haven't obtained the success that they have? Because it's not like they're robbing you of your success. They're not robbing you of your ability to to uh, succeed and do well. They have just found a niche where they can make money doing something that they're good at and people will pay them to do it. So so why get so upset at them for making for, for for getting the rewards that they do, you know, when really what it is is yeah I haven't I haven't taken the time to better myself to to grasp a hold of of challenges that might have been successful for me. You know, it's just a, it's just an interesting thing of human character to to tear someone else down because things are going well for them because they're doing something right. It's uh it's do just not, it's it's fascinating. Do not covet your neighbor's whole list of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Including what they've chosen to do with their time and their talents and their whatever. Basically, I think we can see this play out in the New Testament as we see the scribes and Pharisees want to kill Jesus. Mm. Because he is walking with the Father the way the Father wants him to walk, living the kind of life that God wants and they hate it. They yeah. hate it because they're not doing the right thing. Now they look like they're doing the right thing and they say they're doing the right thing, but inside Jesus says you're like you're like whitewashed tombs. 
Mm. Yeah, it's nice and white and shiny on the outside. And inside, you're full of dead men's bones, which to them would have just been like the ultimate, like, ugh, you know, uncleanness. And he's saying, yeah, that's you. You look good, but you're not you're not actually doing the right thing. You know, from the core, you're rotten on the inside. And so this idea of posing uh, spiritually or saying the right words, or as I say, you know, just wearing the T-shirt or putting the bumper sticker on is that's not cutting it. And that's that was a problem for Jesus. It was a it was a problem for Cain and Abel is the idea of. People who are doing the wrong thing don't like somebody doing the right thing because it kind of highlights that they're doing the wrong thing. And so instead of getting instead of correcting themselves, they'll take out their anger on the people doing the right thing. Again, it's the idea of the weatherman, you know, weather person getting on and saying, hey, there's a hurricane coming. It's like, well, hey, you know what? If we uh, burn down the TV studio, there won't be a hurricane. It's like that is not how that works. But we do that. And that was a problem. It's a problem here for Amos. It's a, it was a problem for Jesus. That's what got him killed. And we see that problem play out in our own time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, chapter nine is the, is the wrap up for Amos's message. And he starts out in, in this chapter that basically that this judgment is coming and no matter where you run, you're not going to be able to get away from it. it I, you know, it's been it's been kind of pointed out before. God has God has relented over and over and over again, and He has pulled back His judgments. He's pulled back the actions that He was that He had in store for 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 correction. And um, no, not anymore. I can't do it anymore. Um, if we let it go. Think about it. If you let it go, how far does it go? And God has said, this is it. I can't let this go anymore. And we're given this great description of God's power in verses five through six. I thought it was it was kind of uh, an interesting way of putting it. It says, um, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell there mourn. All of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. He who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So this is, I mean, God is the guy who is in charge of everything. He has absolutely absolute power over every aspect of our lives, over every aspect of our environment. Uh, Everything, absolutely everything is under his control and this is the one who's going to be bringing judgment and you know on the one hand I, when i read that i try I, i'm 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 a little torn on whether i find it amazing or terrifying or maybe probably a bit of both and maybe it just depends on what side what side you find yourself on are you a person who's willing to be corrected are you a person who um, has listened and and um, you're okay with what's coming or are you somebody who has chosen not to listen ever and you know that the punishment is coming and you know exactly what's going to happen to you or maybe maybe you're maybe you're a little maybe you don't quite know what's going to happen to you and that makes it even more terrifying yeah, verse 10 is pretty pointy. 
Mm -hmm. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. Yeah, and there was something else there in 10 that kind of, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. So all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. You know, are are we talking here about people who, again, are trying to to claim mm, greatness through uh, uh, proximity? You know, well, no, we're the children of Israel. This isn't going to happen to us. It can't happen to us. Well, that's and, like anybody who grows up in the church. And mm-hmm. because of proximity, they feel like they've been given the gift of a relationship with God. When actually all they've been given is the same access to God as everybody else, just with maybe it's just kind of handed to them on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. They don't have to actually look for it. But but the they're missing the point. Like the relationship has to be grown themselves. Yeah. You don't you I mean you can't coattail your way in on this. Yeah. How is it uh down when Jesus says he says something like, um, is it, was it Jesus? I believe it was Jesus talking about um saying oh i'm a i'm a child of abraham and the it comes back well it, you know god can make children of abraham out of these rocks or something like that i'm probably completely no. misquoting yeah. that but yeah <laughs> you got but, it i can handle this yeah well there's there's a couple things like there's branches that are grafted into the tree right i am the vine you are the branches right and then as as the husbandmen of the vineyard branches are grafted in and if they take and they're and they bear fruit then they're they become part of that that life there's many sheep of i who are not of this fold where he says that i think it's isaiah or jeremiah or something like that and it's like yeah i mean you gotta you gotta let room make room for god to bring in his people from everyone from everywhere and to cull people who aren't his, his people from everywhere. That works both ways. So chapter chapter 9 is is it's it's yeah. hope with with the, the gloom. The first half of it is this judgment is going to happen. There's just there's no turning it back. Uh, there there the <clears throat> some of the specific judgments the fire or the locust were were turned back earlier we talked about that but but this this judgment is going to happen. And in in chapter nine, verse four, uh, God says, and if they go in captivity before their enemies there, I will command the sword and kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. OK, so he's saying, hey, look, I'm I'm going to turn against you. But there's another prophet. Who who puts it this way in Jeremiah twenty nine, verse eleven, mm-hmm. God is saying. For I know I have the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not to evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hey, this is a different prophet, but they're talking about the same scenario. People going into captivity, people basically getting their um, their punishment that's been long, long withheld. And then in back to Amos. In uh, verses 11, 14 and 15. God gives this. He ends the book with this, not the doom, but he ends with, let me just read a few phrases. I will raise up the booth of David, repair, raise up, rebuild. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, rebuild, 
plant, make gardens. And God ends in 15 and he says, I will plant them. So mm-hmm. he is he is going to judge them, but he's judging them not for the purpose of just punishment. And then like and then that's it. He says, I want you back and I want you more focused than before and I will rebuild you. And that's the hope that he ends the book with. Yeah, I like some of the the phrasing he uses there. Like you said, the raise up the booth of David and New King James said raise up the tabernacle of David. And I was I was almost seeing that as being a sort of a messianic thing. You know, the tabernacle is where God and man meets. That's to me, that was like that's like Jesus. I'm going to read this. He's going to come up. Um, mm-hmm. Talked about the remnant of Eden. And in verse 12, he says the Gentiles who are called by my name that that had to be. I mean, think about it. this is way before Jesus, and we know how, what a hard time people had with Jesus um, calling Gentiles, or rather, I guess, specifically, well, Jesus, yeah, but Paul, too, you know, going to the Gentiles and taking all this to, to them. And we have this being basically prophesied way back in Amos, in this time of Amos. Uh, so, you know, the idea of the, of the message of God going out going out beyond Israel should not have been... It shouldn't have been a new concept. It shouldn't have been something as a surprise because because they'd been told that it was going to happen. And there are days coming where there's going to be great abundance and the people will be, and specifically the people will be brought back to resettle and told that they'll never be taken from the land again. Um, I take that. I take the 13, 14, and 15. I take kind of those verses there all talking about, yes, when Israel did get restored later, but I also see that as an end times issue as well, where the people who follow God, the spiritual Israel, if you will, will have this to look forward to. We will have a great abundance. We will have um, we will have a new earth to to settle, to to grow and build the way it was always meant to be. And it'll never get taken away again. I mean, we've seen it over the centuries getting degraded uh, in so many ways. And eventually it will all get restored. And I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I definitely look forward to that. The, the idea of of a restored earth and us being able to inhabit it. I mean, we think of the the great things that we see now on earth. I mean, the beauty that we have now. And imagine that, I mean, we can't even, I don't know, can we even imagine something greater than some of the most dynamic things of nature that we've ever seen or civilization that we've ever seen, you know, uh, imagine a world that is driven by a desire to do what God wants us to do, to live that abundance that, that he had always had in store for us. Uh, it's it, it's it's mind-boggling to think that through. What would that look like? What would yeah. uh, you know? What does a society look like that lives like that? Earth has never really seen it, not that we know of. I mean, no. Adam and Adam and Eve's time on Earth in 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 Eden, we don't really know how long it was, but I wouldn't call that a civilization. I mean, that was a couple of people. You know, who yeah, lived I'm curious how long they were there. Did they have children? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems, yeah, I don't know. But Jane, we, Jane married somebody, 
Cain went mm -hmm. to a distant city and married somebody and built, you know, went to a, or he went and built a city. It's like, there, there were people. Who Earth. were they? Where'd they come from? Yeah. You know, but no, yeah. I mean, the, the New Testament says, like, we can't even imagine. We've never even thought of the things that are waiting for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Amos comes with this, this message of doom and gloom and woe to you and watch out because it's coming and have no doubt it is coming and the judgment is coming but then with hope at the end of it yeah it's going to be better it's going to get better some of you some some you know this will be restored it will it will be it will be good again and uh i really like that that's the way the message ends is not on a down note but rather with hope. Message of hope i would venture to say back to that text about the plumb line i would venture to say that this is where the nation has been found wanting you know the nation itself as a whole is held up to god's plumb line and it's found to be crooked and so it is destroyed after many warnings it is destroyed but yet within that God makes room for the individual and individuals who are who don't meet the plumb line. They are taken out, but not everyone. So it's not a universal destruction. The people who are within that group who are standing straight to God's plumb line, they are saved and they are brought back and everything is rebuilt. So it's kind of this simultaneous collective judgment individual judgment thing yeah trying to if you're trying to straighten something you don't have to take everything out of it in order to do it especially figure the way that like their walls were built you know they're they're bricks they're they're clay they're stone whatever and you can just shave a little bit of it off and and make it better and yeah you don't have to destroy everything so that's basically amos um i don't know do we have any final thoughts on amos you know, I'm just going to say that I think that there's there's this theme that goes through. I mean, it is cover to cover in the Bible, and it's God trying to reach his people. Say, hey, I want you back. There are certain things to not to do, and there are certain things I want you to do that will be good for you. And this is a... Um, it's a theme that just happens over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, this period, I mean, there, just for our readers, this goes on for a long time. It, it is the bulk of the middle of the Old Testament. Is this same period preceding Israel's captivity? Mm -hmm. um, and God's pleading with them through all of these different prophets in all of these different ways to try to get them to change. And eventually he says, okay. It's, you know, the, the warnings, we're, we're done warning now, it's going to happen, and it does. But that's God's theme. I guess that's my point, is that, that, that this shows up over and over and over again. And we don't get tired of talking about it, because God didn't get tired of saying it. Is He wants his people back. He wants them to change their ways, repent, and, you know, develop a relationship with him that would lead to good fruit. As uh, as Jesus would say.
I think it plays into, you know, just like we we're saying in the beginning is that we tend to just the message is there. The reproof is there. The judgment is there. The hope is still there. But we tend to, as humans, still get caught up in self and trip over our own feet. And God is there to say, you know what? I know this is going to happen. And he's patient with us and faithful to his promises that says, you know what? Even though it's going to be torn down, even though there's going to be hard times and judgment, I haven't forgot you or forsaken you. Yeah, always, always wrapped up with a message of hope. And I like that. I think it's good. Well, I think that'll about wrap it us, wrap it up for us with Amos. Then uh, next week we will be talking about Second Chronicles chapter twenty-seven, which really is some review as we go through that. It it will probably just hit that very lightly because it's just a tiny bit of review to give us a little context of what we're talking. But then we're going to get into Isaiah chapters nine through twelve. So. Second Chronicles 27 and Isaiah 9 through 12. And while you are waiting for that, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can find us on Facebook. And please make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and relatives and neighbors. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Okay, so I just found it just as we wrapped it up. I don't even remember the context of it, but it was bugging me that I couldn't think of it. Um, it is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It goes to the to the idea of the, the beauty of heaven and... We can't even imagine how amazing it's going to be.